I want you to imagine yourself visiting Calvary Bible Church for the very first time. You notice there's an ample parking lot and there's one large building. You wonder what goes on in all that big building and all the other buildings you see. Smiling, men and women, warmly greet you, both inside and outside of the building. So far, so good. You estimate there are about 200 persons gathered in the sanctuary that particular Sunday worshiping God. You say to yourself, that's a medium-sized congregation. You notice the large amount of scripture which is in the worship service. And you're glad that the songs that are sung are theologically accurate to your understanding and line up with what the Bible teaches. You find it helpful that the pastor explains and applies certain Bible verses and he doesn't yell. Overall, you pick up on an observable love and joy and you chalk it up to Christ. What you don't see are showy lights or hyped up special effects or any particular person up front with too high an opinion of himself or herself. You believe that nobody on the platform is performing and you like that. You perceive that the Lord Jesus Christ is revered and you know that's right. You conclude that Calvary Bible Church is conservative and largely traditional. And you get the impression that there probably is a steadiness and a consistency that marks the church as it values and shapes each Sunday's corporate worship service. You also notice that there are fewer ministries offered than most churches. It seems to you that in some ways this church has been simplified in a good way. Will you come back next Sunday? Maybe that depends on what Calvary Bible Church is up to what the church is trying to do. Is it clear? Is it biblical? Is it doable? You want and you need that the church you plug into would have a well-defined purpose. You notice a sign in the foyer as you leave, and it's a diagram that talks about the church's purpose here of being making a fully committed followers of Christ. And on that sign, you see a circle pathway where it's said that to make fully committed followers of Christ, the church is trying to heighten love for the Lord through its Sunday morning worship heighten the love of the believers in the church for one another, small groups, and increase the love for lost people not yet saved by Jesus Christ. It's clear enough. 
biblical. You've noticed, because you've been to other churches in Nassau, other churches that are bigger than this Calvary Bible Church, you've noticed that it would be real easy for you and your wife to slip into that bigger church without being noticed or speaking to anybody, and then to exit that bigger church without speaking to anybody or even being noticed. You've tried that, and you found it hollow and not satisfying. You, in that kind of a setting of this bigger church, you wonder about the condition of your soul, if anybody would know about it. And if your soul needed some medicine, if anybody would give you the medicine. It was just, the bigger church has just felt to you like anonymity. Surface talk about surface things. In those churches which you visited that were bigger, you were confident that you could get lost in the crowd. And there was a time in your spiritual development when that's exactly what you wanted to do at church. But you were changing. You and your wife were wanting something life-changing, serious, but at the same time joyful. Something that Increment by increment, when you went to a church, whatever church you'd pick, that you were advancing and looking more like Christ. And you were helping people around you who you knew and who knew you to be more like Jesus. That's what you're craving. That's what you're wanting and needing. You were tired of Monday to Friday spiritual loneliness in those churches. And you were tired of groping around in the dark trying to help yourself be discipled, to be a follower of Christ. There was a time when that vagueness and that superficiality appealed to you, but it has left you and your wife disappointed and looking for another church. The bigger church experience left you self-absorbed and working on your Christian life as a do-it-yourself project, which proved not to be very helpful when the storms of life came with a prodigal child or a lost job or unexpected medical diagnosis. You're older and you're wiser now and you figured out that now you want and need better from a church. You figured out the hard way that a small spiritual family within a large spiritual family, is worth you risking and worth you extending yourself. You now have come to believe that Christianity is a team sport, not a solo sport. You've come to see that Christian living is a community and not being an unknown, anonymous consumer. The next Sunday, you decide to come back to Calvary Bible Church a second time. And you hear the pastor mention small groups. You hear him say that small groups are now at the heart and center of Calvary Bible Church. That a new discipleship pastor has been hired to help that continue to be the heartbeat of the new simplified Calvary Bible Church. You hear the pastor say that. 
You hear him say again what the sign in the lobby said that you noticed the week before, that the church exists to make fully committed followers of Christ. You've heard the pastor the second Sunday say that small groups drive the simple process of making disciples. And that whole thought intrigues you. It interests you, whereas the time in your life didn't interest you at all. It was threatening to you. But now it's interesting to you. You are open to it. In fact, you're curious about how this works. In the past, you've been part of one church that did have small groups, and you have been a part of another church that didn't. And in the church, the other church that offered small groups, you and your spouse tried a small group in that church because you had some interest. Your experience was okay, but it could have been better. You found the small group in this other church that before long you were getting to be more and more infrequent in attending the group because it felt more like a lecture than a living body of believers. There wasn't a lot of interaction. And group members seemed to keep each other at a polite arm's length. And sometimes in other churches, small groups, you wondered if what you shared in the small group would stay in the small group. That's a bad feeling. You had to work with a situation that the other church's small groups didn't welcome your young children into them. So you had to arrange a babysitter each time you tried to go to the small group. You always couldn't find someone to watch your children, and that challenge contributed to you eventually dropping out of that small group and giving up. Real relationships didn't seem to be on that other church's small group's agenda. When you dropped out of the small group, no one noticed. No one contacted you to say you were missed. That whole experience on your second Sunday to Calvary Bible Church, you know it's not a perfect church, but you sense there's something different going on here, something that lines up with Jesus' will for believers, and that although the church here doesn't have all the answers about small groups, they're committed to them, and they're working on sorting things out. And so you have some questions. And after the second visit, after the lobby clears and you hang around with your spouse and speak to a leader of the church here, you have some questions. And the leader says, ask away. And you ask, how often do the small groups at Calvary Bible Church meet? And you're told that some of the groups meet weekly. Others of the groups meet twice a month. And the groups themselves decide the frequency of their meetings. You have another question. What day of the week do the small groups at Calvary Bible Church meet? You get the answer, each group picks its own day of the week to meet. You're sensing there's a flexibility in this whole small group thing at this church. You ask, what makes up a typical group meeting? And the answer the leader gives you, fellowship, prayer, Bible teaching, honest and open Holy Spirit-led sharing, which is confidential, and the leader says some of the groups meet and have a meal together every time they meet. 
That's interesting to you. So you have more questions. What else do these small groups do, you ask? Answer, some Christian service projects inside and outside of the four walls of Calvary Bible Church. The small groups also care for and support one another with genuine love and practical helps. Your interest is being piqued. Your wife has a question. So she asks the church leader, who leads these small groups? The elder says, men who are Calvary Bible Church pastor approved and trained. Most every group has two leaders who teach and to steer the group both inside and outside of the group meetings. You look at your spouse and she's got a quizzical look on her face and you're wanting to ask more questions too. So you say, are our children welcome in a small group here? Yes. Each group works out how that best happens. How long are the group meetings? Between 60 and 90 minutes. Where do these groups meet? Either in homes or in a particular room within the church building. The groups decide. Your wife says, how many are in each group? The pastor says between 12 and 15 persons, no more than 15. What are Calvary Bible Church's small groups trying to accomplish? Now we're getting to the heart of it. The elder says, helping every Christian who is in a small group to more fully follow the Lord Jesus by better loving one another and by obeying the one another commandments of the New Testament. You have one more question before you let the leader go to lunch and you decide to go to lunch with your mate. The question you ask is, when did these small groups start? The week of September 24th. How do we sign up for a small group? At the end of every Sunday service, there are people with clipboards at each of the exits that you can sign up for. Or you can phone the church. Or you can go to the website and click on join a small group. Or, the leader says, if you want to do a test drive with a small group and not fully commit to signing up for one yet, you want to visit one and take a test drive and see what it's like if you like it. And if it's going to help you, you can do that too. When you sign up with the clipboard or phone the church or click on the website, you can say, test drive, and we'll know what you mean. Now, The leader who told you that the ways that persons in this fellowship are going to become more like fully fully followers of Christ, excuse me, is to obey the one another's of the New Testament. Let me go through what the one another's are of the New Testament. Each of these one another commands, before I state them, is best lived out in a small group of less than 15 persons. It is more readily lived out in a group of less than 15 persons than it ever can be lived out in a Sunday morning group of 200 persons. So what are these one another commands? Real quick, love one another. Several 
New Testament verses command us to love one another. It's the form of agape. Agape love, I've taught you before, is God's kind of love, the highest kind of love. Agape love discerns the need in the one who is loved and sacrificially gives to meet that need without concern of the cost or the payback. We are to agape love one another. Only one love one another in the New Testament is the Greek word phileo. Phileo is friendship love. You watch my kids on a weeknight, and then I'll watch your kids on a weeknight. Husband saying, do I scratch my back for five minutes? And the wife saying, you scratch my back for five minutes. Phileo love. But agape love is the love that all but one reference in the New Testament tells us to obey, to agape love one another. Second, one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted is a form of phileo, to love with a brotherly or a sisterly love, a warmth. Third, one another, honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12, 10. Another, live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, 6. Excuse me, Romans 12, 16. Another one, stop passing judgment on one another. When you come to your small group, it's not a judgment zone. It's an acceptance zone. If you need correction, that's another one another. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. How has Christ accepted you? Fully? Unconditionally, wonderfully. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Romans 15, 7. This idea of acceptance is to receive one another, to have personal acceptance of one another, to willingly accept one another, holding nothing against one another. That happens best in a small group. Another one another. Teach one another. In the Hebrew stem the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, but in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, this idea is cause someone to learn. If I don't cause you to learn something as I'm preaching, I haven't taught you. I can think I taught you, but if I haven't been used of the Lord to cause you to learn something, I have not taught. Teach one another. Colossians 3.16. Going on. Instruct one another. If teaching one another is causing one another to learn, then instructing one another is calling one another to live for Christ. How to do it? Going on. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. (laughs) When we would drive to Florida as a young family, I had two sisters as little kids, and we would get so ticked off if if one of us touched the other one on the thigh. Get! away from me. Don't touch me. We weren't bearing with one another in love in the backseat driving to Florida from Canada. In a small group, we are to be bearing with one another in love, agape love. Ephesians 4.2 says that. Be kind and compassionate to one another. That's Ephesians 4.32. 
going on. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's Ephesians 5.19. All of these one another's are best lived out in a group of less than 15 people and not in a sanctuary full of 200 people. Going on. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21. The Greek word translated submit here is a form of hupotasso. Hupo means under. Tasso means to stand. Hupotasso means to stand under one another. That's an action we do to ourselves. You can't make me stand under you. Only I, in obedience to the word of God, will make myself stand under you in a small group. (laughs) Silly example. But turning to your wife or your husband that you're going to go out for dinner and saying, you pick the restaurant. That's standing under when it comes to a social evening. It goes on. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Colossians 3, verse 13. Going on. Admonish one another. That is correct each other. Colossians 3, 16. Your small group will be a place when people who have demonstrated their love for you, their agape love for you already, you've learned to trust that when you need correction in humility and for your best interest, they admonish you with Scripture. Going on, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, verse 25 the verses that Hebrews 10 say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which some people are doing in our assembly. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a manner of some. We're to encourage one another, lift one another up to the doing of God's will goes on, encourage one another daily. We've seen the command, encourage one another earlier in my list, but this is, makes it more specific. It says, encourage one another daily. You've heard in the testimony earlier in the service that the group that Sister Charlene and Sister Victoria are in is in contact with each other daily through WhatsApp. I know of one person in our church who's in a small group who WhatsApps an encouraging Bible verse to all of the small group he's a part of every single day. We go on. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's in that same Hebrews 10 passage where we're not to forsake the assembling ourselves together as is the manner of some. One of the purposes to come together as we're doing right now. By the way, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because you have not forsaken the assembling of yourselves together this Lord's Day. I'm talking about the others who have forsaken assembling themselves together with us. In your small group, permission is granted by everybody in the small group to encourage one another daily. You know, If you have a pulse, the founder of Chick-fil-A said, if you have a pulse, you need encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. The person that you think has the world by the tail, the eternal optimist, if you scrape away the makeup, scrape away the hairspray, scrape away the bravado, that person needs encouragement every day. 
We go on. Spur one another to love and good deeds. I just covered that. We go on. Do not slander one another. Hebrews, excuse me, James, James 4.11 says, don't slander one another. Remember, liable is running down someone's character in writing. By the way, don't do that on Facebook. Don't do that on email. Don't do that. Don't write bad things about other people. It's liable. You could get sued by an unbeliever. Slander is verbal. Running down another believer with your mouth. When I was growing up, I never had a fist fight, I don't think. Well, I did. One guy attacked me. Two guys attacked me, and I had to defend myself. But otherwise, I never started a fist fight. But I'll tell you what, I sliced and diced people with my words. I just eviscerated people with my words. Maybe you can relate. It says, do not slander one another. James 4.11. I remember the church, first church I pastored in Canada we're in the finished basement of one of the men of the church, an eye doctor, and somebody in the small group spoke negatively about someone who wasn't present. <laughs> and the doctor, like that, says, we're not in the practice of talking negatively about somebody who isn't present. Good for him. Wasn't going to put up with any slander in his home. Do not slander one another. Goes on, live in harmony with each other. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now that could be a lunch or a dinner or a snack or a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a Coca-Cola. Might be loaning your car to someone who needs transportation. Practice hospitality with one another. That's 1 Peter 4.9. On the 21st, one another command, we're getting there. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Members of our small group should interact with each other as if they're wearing a dress or a pair of pants of humility. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. Listen, humility is not thinking about yourself. You're not humble if you run yourself down. You're humble if you don't think about your interests. You think about the interests of others. And others' orientation. You've seen it. Maybe it's your Grammy. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your auntie. When people come over for a meal and that person has such an other's orientation, they don't even get to eat a meal because they're serving everybody else. Need some more potatoes? More plantain? More beets? That's clothing yourself with humility. Greet one another with the kiss of love. <laughs> well, probably in our culture it's not a kiss. 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Maybe a kiss on the cheek, but sometimes a holy kiss looks like a hug or looks like a knuckle bump. Greet one another in a warm way. 
Serve one another in love. Galatians 5, verse 13. Serving is putting God's love into your hands and your feet. And it's, not, it's a love that doesn't watch the clock. Serving one another, still with this, the verb form here is associated with the noun that means slave. Slave for one another. The idea is to do whatever the other person needs or to be whatever the other person needs and you're aware of. Dawson Trotman founded the Navigators Parachurch Ministry, strong on Bible memorization, still going. Dawson Trotman was on a radio phone-in show before he drowned in Scroon Lake, saving a lady who couldn't swim. Dawson Trotman was on this phone-in radio show, and someone asked, how do you know whether or not you're a servant? And he said, by how you react when someone treats you like theirs. That's it. How do you react when someone comes to you and treats you like you're, you are their personal slave servant? Do you recoil? Do you think, who do you think you are? I'm busy. One of the one another commands of the New Testament is to serve one another in love. The next one, wash one another's feet. John 13, verse 14. You do realize in the time of the New Testament, the roads were dusty and unpaved, rocky. You do realize that most of the footwear at the time of Jesus being on earth was sandals, open sandals, or bare feet. So you would realize, I hope, that when you arrived at another person's house or even your own house, your feet would be dirty and dusty. And a practical, humble, unglamorous, sometimes unpleasant work to show courtesy to someone was to wash their feet. This one another statement command is saying, do what it takes to show courtesy to others, especially if it's practical courtesy, humble courtesy, unglamorous courtesy, sometimes unpleasant courtesy. Another one another command. In humility, consider one another's better than yourselves. Philippians 2, verse 3. You've seen the acronym JOY. JOY, J is for Jesus, O is for others, and Y is for yourself. And the point the acronym is making is you want real joy that abides that's not circumstantially based, then put Jesus first, others ahead of you, and yourself last. In humility... Consider others better than yourselves. I love Jesus' story <laughs> when, when uh, the person was seated at the head table and he didn't belong at the head table. He was thinking about his own interests and they asked him to sit in the back table. And I love the flip side of that. Jesus says, sit at the back table and then if you're honored, they'll call you up to the head table. It's a way of saying, don't think about yourself when you enter the banquet room. Think about others. 
another one another. Each one of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others. Spiritual gifts are endowed at the point of conversion. We don't get a choice of what spiritual gift we're endowed with. Every one of us gets at least one spiritual gift. Some of us get more than one. In the Romans 12 list of spiritual gifts, there's prophesying, which is forth-telling, not predictive, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. If you have one of those spiritual gifts, and if you're saved, you do, are you exercising that spiritual gift for the good and the upbuilding of the body and bride of Christ? In your small group of less than 15 persons, will you use your spiritual gift to build up the other 14 or less persons in your small group? It's like this. And uh, this is to God's glory. When we get a turkey for Christmas, most usually my wife decides to give it to the church for the Boxing Day lunch. And that's to God's glory. So there they are, 26 one another New Testament commands that are all best obeyed in a small group of 15 or less people. But wait, there's more. There's a 19 additional New Testament commands for each other's. I won't go into all of them, but all of the each other, all of the each other commands are also best fulfilled in a small group, not in a big gathering on a Sunday morning. Let me a sampling of some each other New Testament commands. Be at peace with each other, Mark 9:50. Have equal concern for each other, 1 Corinthians 12:15. Carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2. It says later in that passage, to each one should bear his own load, different Greek word. In verse 2, the word for burdens is like a grand piano. You need help to move it. A load is like a little FedEx package with some tape on it that you can carry back from the shipping and importing store by yourself. God says, carry each other's grand pianos. Going on, forgiving each other, Ephesians 4.32. Do not lie to each other, Colossians 3.9. Love each other, 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Build each other up, that's the opposite of tearing each other down. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Confess your sins to each other, James 5.16. Pray for each other, James 5, verse 16. I would submit to you, that all of the doing of these commands, the one another's and the each other's, is best done in a small group. Are you in a small group? Will you take a test drive of a small group? Will you sign up for a small group? I'll make you six guarantees. On behalf of the, all the other pastors, I make you six guarantees about your experience in a small group. You ready? First guarantee, Christ and his word will be central. Second, all persons in groups will feel accepted and loved. Third guarantee, confidences will be kept. Fourth, persons of every stage of spiritual maturity will benefit. Fifth guarantee, persons learn to love one another so that they will actually and practically love 
one another. It's not theory, it's practice. Sixth guarantee, with time and trust, time and trust, persons in our small groups will be real with one another when they're ready to be real. Groups, small groups of this church are places where it's okay not to be okay. Places where it's okay not to be okay. I'm going to ask our new associate pastor, discipleship pastor, Jory, to come and join me in the pulpit. I want you to chew on what I just said. Our small groups will be a place where it's okay not to be okay. Pastor Jory, you had a little story I wanted you to tell. First, I want to read the statement once again of what the intent of small groups is, just to make sure that it's clear for everyone. The intent of small groups is to encourage members and regular attenders of Calvary Bible Church to practice the one another's of Scripture, do evangelistic outreach together, as well as accomplish various service projects. Romans 15, 14 says, Concerning you, my brother, and I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Pastor Rob talked a little bit about what admonishing one another looks like. And I just want to clarify something for you as well. Um, small groups is not my ministry. That's not why I was hired. Uh, you brought me on here to serve the body of Christ, who are the ministers within the small group. That's you, individually. Uh, as a pastor, I am here, according to Ephesians chapter 4, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Small groups is not me. That's not me. I am here to make it happen, to allow you to be equipped to be able to do that work of the ministry. Small groups is for you. It's for the church. I am, yes, a part of the church, and I'm going to be using my gifts within it, but my primary objective is to equip you, and I'm going to do that to the best of my ability that the Lord has uh, given me within my giftedness. But it is you, the body of Christ, who will be doing the work of the ministry because you are, I am convinced, along with the Apostle Paul, full of goodness and knowledge and able to admonish one another. Within those small groups, admonishing is something that will be part of your group. There will be a brother or sister who finds himself in sin, and they will need you. They don't need me. I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be present in your group except maybe visiting every once in a while, but they're going to need you as a member of that group to be able to admonish them. I want to share with you just an illustrative story of an account within a group that I was part of and that I was leading uh, where this became very relevant in an instant. <laughs> the story is dear to me, so uh, forgive me for getting shaken a little. The couple um, who was part of this group showed up on the evening that we were meeting together. Uh, I, being the diligent student of the word that I was, was ready for the study. They showed up. She walked in the door uh, in tears. Uh, he was staunch and cold. She went to my wife, and he came and sat in the middle of the room with us guys. <clears throat> they both were ready for a divorce, but they came to the group that night. They didn't go to the pastor. 
They didn't go to some professional counselor. They came to the group that they trusted. And they trusted us with that, uh, it was like a terrifying statement when it came out that they wanted a divorce. They were done. Well, they weren't done. <laughs> they weren't done. She was in tears was one of the indicators that I knew that they weren't done. We stopped our study and turned our attention completely toward them and the struggle that they were in. We did not call up the pastor. We didn't call up some psychologist. We didn't call up some special counselor. No, we were equipped as the ones who were entrusted to be able to admonish them in the sin that they were caught up in and what led them to this place that they were at. And praise the Lord, they did get further help outside of the group. They weekly met together um, to counsel with one of the pastors of our church and praise God are still married together today and their children still in the home and their relationship restored. Praise the Lord. That took place within a setting that was safe, safe for them to come, safe for them to share with us what they were experiencing. You won't get that on a Sunday morning. They would not have walked through these doors and announced to the entire group of 200 people that they wanted a divorce. Wouldn't have happened. Without having that intermediate group that met on a regular basis that they felt confident to be able to share that with, uh, that they were able to get the help that they needed from us, as well as to get some counseling to look deeper into the sin that led them there. So that's just one illustration, just one. Uh, there's, there's many reasons why coming together in a smaller setting, as we have saw this morning, um, will be better equipped to deal with those type of things. So I encourage all of you, join, join in a smaller group. Uh, trials and tribulations are going to come, right? That's the promise of the Lord. Uh, they are for our growth, and they are better, better and best dealt with in that smaller setting. Pastor Rob mentioned a test drive. I encourage you, if you're sitting on the fence, I would prefer you fall off to the side of joining. But if you're just not ready to, the test drive is a great way to do that. We don't even know what that looks like yet, but it's a great way to do it. You can come into a group and see how it happens. But just remember, the test drive, it's not going to be a Lamborghini. Nope. It's going to be a Paso. <laughs> it's probably falling apart. There's going to be some, and I have personal experience with that, by the way. It, it's, it's not going to be what you think it is. And if it looks like a Lamborghini, you should probably go to a different group. There's going to be struggles there. There's going to be troubles there, but uh, they're, going to, they're going to have it out there in the open. That's what you're going to be looking for is how they're dealing with those troubles, how they're dealing with the text of Scripture, um, how, how you are able to be able to communicate within that group. Those are the things that you're looking for. Paso can be fixed up can't get much past a Lamborghini, so it's just not going to happen. Don't look for that. Same thing with the church. If you look for the perfect church, please don't join this one. <laughs> you're not going to find a home here. Uh, you're going to find broken sinners who want to uh, grow in the Lord. Uh, Pastor Rob asked me to share the percentage. Uh, 139 of 180 attenders in last, group, uh, last Sunday's morning worship, 139 of you are signed up for a small group. Praise the Lord. That's, that's all he's doing, right? 
And I got to correct myself. A sister just asked to join this morning in my office, so that makes us 140. So that's just over 77% of the attendance of that Sunday. Um, because if you come here and you are a brother or sister in Christ, that means you need to be part of the group, period. So that means we are shooting for 100% of every regular attender and member who is a born-again believer to be part of that group. If you're an unbeliever, there's, uh, there's an ability for you to come in and check that out. Some people think that that may be a great in to be able to discover what this church thing is, this weird group of people that gets together. And I think that's a wonderful place for it, and the elders do as well. Um, the final thing that I just wanted to say is just remember that you, the body of Christ, are the ones who are doing the work. And if in any way possible I can equip you to be able to do that work, I'm here for that. I want to make this as smooth as possible. One last announcement. I feel like I'm preaching. I'm taking long. Right Sorry. One of the things that's been brought to my attention is the challenges and difficulties of getting to a small group, uh, nighttime driving, uh, physical disabilities, things like that. Um, I know that we can overcome those things. Uh, the sister I was talking to this morning, location, we're going to figure out which group is close as possible to her home so that she won't have to deal with the nighttime driving. If you're, if you're thinking you're, you're way out on the west side and, and you're not able to make it, well, we actually have a group that's meeting on the west side. So if you think you want to do it, just start asking questions, and I will, on my end, get you plugged into a group that's as close as possible to your home. Don't let geographic location uh, be something that keeps you from joining in in person. Okay, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful that you have, um, you have through imperfect men and your spirit produced a perfect word. Well, I don't know exactly uh, how that all shaked out in, in time, but I, knew, I know that in uh, your providence and your sovereign will, your men were moved by your spirit to write the things that they did. And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you are the author of all scripture, that there is 100% of it within the Bible that we hold in our hands, that you are the author. And so, Lord, as we look at it, uh, we can see that these things are not suggestions if they're from you, that is, they're absolutes. And so however that works in each of our lives as children of God, as followers of Christ, help us to obey them, uh, the commands that are for obedience, and to know you better through them. Lord, I pray that you would equip your people with the ability to come together, not just on this Sunday morning, but Lord, at the different times throughout the week to be able to practice these things, to practice the one another's. I pray that if anyone has any barriers that is keeping them from doing that, that you would overcome them. Yes. Lord, if you move the hearts of people, certainly you can move the body of a person. Yes. I pray that you would give them the ability to, to join a group, to come together with a group, and to pour their life into that group. Lord, I pray that you would use this uh, to grow your church, that you would use this to grow them in, not only in wisdom and knowledge, but you would use this to grow numerically as well. 
all to the glory of Christ and God's people said. Amen. Amen.